Back to Basics, a complete Back to Basic program recorded live during the Back to Basic study by Tim B. Thanks, guys. Tim, alcoholic. Um, if we could, um, we're on doing step 10 tonight. And uh, that means that in the big book, we are on page 84, second paragraph, starting this thought, this thought. And we're going to be only reading through page 85. Uh, up to the very bottom, the, the uh, third line from the bottom. So just a page and a half from there. But we are going to supplement those thoughts with reading step 10 in the 12 and 12, which of course is page 88 to 95. And uh, I was um, given um, a gift last week, and it was uh, Drop the Rock, the Ripple Effect. Now, those of you who are familiar with Drop the Rock, it focuses on page on steps six and seven, very important steps. This has is is um, is supplemental to that, and it's focusing on step ten in relation to steps six and seven. And I'm just going to read one paragraph from there, and uh, that's also just to uh, whet your appetite. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to uh, get started. Page eighty four in the big book. This thought brings us to step 10. Well, what thought? Well, it's the paragraph right before it, and that is our ninth step promises. And basically what it's saying is that if you do the work, if you work for them, everything will materialize that we read in page 83, 84, and, uh, which are the ninth step promises. All of that will come true. They will materialize if we work for them. So this thought, that thought we just discussed, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory. That sounds like step four to me. And continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Sounds like nine to me. So steps four and nine are, are, are part of 10. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit, capital S, so it is a spiritual term. Our next function is, so after we get sober, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. That's the purpose of living in 10, 11, and 12. We get sober doing the first nine. We stay sober 10, 11, and 12. We grow in our sobriety 10, 11, and 12. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Here's the suggestions it makes. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Sounds like step five. Excuse me, step four. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. Steps six and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately. Step five and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone, step nine. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. A little bit like 12, but is it 12? No. We resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. We didn't actually do it yet. 12 is 12, step 12 is st step 12, it's action. 
This is us deciding where the services that were needed. But we didn't actually do it yet. It's the switching from self to other, but we're still in thought. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. So by the time we're, we're halfway through nine, sanity will have returned. We seldom, we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. Why? Because we really don't have power over this. We, we didn't have power, small p. We searched out, we did this process, first nine steps to find the power, capital P. It's happened automatically. We didn't make it happen. We merely did the work to find the power, right? It's almost like indirectly it happens. Watch what it says about it. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. Why? Because we're, it's beyond choice. We're beyond human aid. We don't have choice in the matter the only, for drinking. The only thing we have choice about doing is the steps, it just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. What's a great example of that? People that stop coming to meetings. They celebrate one, two, three, four, five, eight, nine, twelve years. And then they say, ah, I don't feel like drinking, drugging anymore. I don't need to go back there anymore. That's resting on your laurels. That is leaving the spiritual program of action. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. So the spiritual condition happened in the first nine steps. We maintain it. We grow it in 10, 11, and 12. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. Here's a prayer, 10-step prayer. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our, oh, here's, what did I harp on from day one? Self-will, self-determination is the, is, the, is the root cause of all our problems, right? Self-centeredness. Here's a slight difference. When you live your life in an example of the prayer right above it, thy will be done, God's will, not mine, you can use your self-will to perform his uh, guidance. So it says, 
We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. When we're doing God's work, our self-will can be used to perform that. So if you've decided that there is a need for a meeting at a, um, a hospital and you start up a meeting and they say, well, gee, I don't know if we can do that. And you need insurance and you go and you figure out how you're going to get insurance and you and uh, you need speakers and you go out and you find speakers and you, you they, they want 50 bucks a month and you figure out how you're going to get the $50 a month. You got to pass the back. That's your self will via God's guidance. God's guidance is allowing you to use your self-will to perform that act. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him, capital H, who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, meaning done the steps, done the first nine steps, if we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. That's a spiritual experience, spiritual awakening. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. So we're good, right? No. What's the next sentence say? But we must go further. And that means more action. So uh, we're going to stop there tonight. We're going to switch over to the 12 and 12. We're on page 88. And we're going to read to 95. And step 10, of course. And then we're going to take the step. After we read that paragraph out of uh, Drop the Rock, the ripple effect, we're going to take the step. And the step, of course, is continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Again, we're in the 12 and 12, page 88. As we work the first nine steps, we prepare ourselves for the adventure of a new life. But when we approach step 10, we commence to put our AA way of life into practical use day by day in fair weather or foul. So in other words, that's saying once we become sober up through nine, now we need to take that with us into all aspects of our life. The, the lessons we have learned, the experience we had, we then take into all aspects of our life. Then comes the acid test. Can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live to good purpose under all conditions, good and bad, right? So somebody gets sick, somebody dies, I lose my job, I get a divorce, my kid won't go to school, the dog bit me, all of those things. I don't know why I chose dog bit me, but... Um, <laughs> All of those things are tests for our emotional sobriety. A continuous look at our assets and liabilities. So here it's talking about for the first time that we not only look at our liabilities, we also look at our assets, the things that are good. And a real desire to learn and grow by this means are necessities for us. We alcoholics have learned this the hard way. More experienced people, of course, in all times and places, have practiced unsparing self-survey and criticism. For the wise have always known that no one can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit, until he is able to admit and accept when he finds, and so you have to find it, and until he patiently and persistently 
tries to correct what is wrong. So not only do you need to become aware of it, you have to patiently and persistently try to repair it. Whatever your character defect is. When a drunk has a terrific hangover because he drank heavily yesterday, he cannot live well today. But there is another kind of hangover which we all experience whether we are drinking or not. That is the emotional hangover, the direct results of yesterday's and sometimes today's excesses of negative emotion. What are they? Anger, fear, jealousy, and the like. If we would live serenely today and tomorrow, we certainly need to eliminate these hangovers. This doesn't mean we need to wander morbidly around in the past. It requires an admission and correction of errors now. Now is italicized, means it's important. Now, immediately. If you let it build up, it kind of turns into a fourth step, doesn't it? If you deal with it now, it's a tenth step. We don't let our resentments build up. We, don't, we recognize that we have fears about the future. We deal with it immediately. We don't let that fester, right? That's like a boil. Our inventory enables us to settle with the past. When this is done, we are really able to leave it behind us. When our inventory is carefully taken and we have made peace with ourselves, the conviction follows that tomorrow's challenges can be met as they come. Life on life's terms. We hear that in the, in the rooms all the time. Although all inventories are alike in principle, so meaning fourth step inventories and 10th step inventories are basically the same. And they're gonna give us like four examples of how and when we could do those. They're gonna describe four different types. I'm gonna read that sentence again. Although all inventories are like in principle, the time factor does distinguish one from another. There's the spot check inventory taken at any time of the day whenever we find ourselves getting tangled up. So that's one. There's the one we take at day's end when we review the happenings of the hours just past. Here we cast up a balance sheet, crediting ourselves, assets, crediting ourselves with things well done and chalking up debits where due. Those are our character defects. Those are where we made mistakes. Then there are those occasions when alone or in the company of our sponsor or spiritual advisor, we make a careful review, more in depth, more detail of our progress since the last time. That's the third example. Many AAs go in for annual or semi-annual house cleanings. That's the fourth type. Many of us also like the experience of an occasional retreat from the outside world when we can quiet down for an undisturbed day or so of self-overhaul and meditation. I guess that's actually five then, five different types. I think I was merging the retreat one with the annual, semi-annual thing, but I think we could break those apart. Aren't these practices joy killers? Or, excuse me, aren't these practices joy killers as well as time consumers? Must AA spend most of their waking hours drearily rehashing their sins of omission or commission? Well, hardly. The emphasis on inventory is heavy only because a great many of us never have never really acquired the habit of accurate self-appraisal. Once this healthy practice has become grooved, it will be so interesting and profitable that the time it takes won't be missed. For these minutes and sometimes hours spent in self-examination 
are bound to make all the other hours of our day better and happier. And at length, our inventories become a regular part of everyday living rather than something unusual or set apart. Before we ask what a spot check inventory is, let's look at the kind of setting in which such an inventory can do its work. It's a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, ooh, this is gonna be important, every time that we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. The guy cut you off. You didn't get the promotion. You know, the, the, the person didn't pay you the money and you're angry about it. The problem is us. If we're disturbed over it, the problem is with us. If somebody hurt us and we are sore, we are in the wrong also. So if someone hurt us, we are not in the wrong until we're sore about it. So it's the resentment that makes us have a part in it. Not if the person did something to, so the guy stole your wallet and you forgave them and you're good with it. You've done nothing wrong. Maybe you called the police and, and there's a report, and, but you don't hold any resentments about it. You've done nothing wrong. If you're home stewing on it and staring at the ceiling and you're disturbed, there's something wrong with us. Because why? The resentment blocks you from doing good service. It blocks you from the sunlight of the spirit entering you so that you can go out and do God's will. But, but are there no exceptions to this rule? What timing? Oh my God. But are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? If somebody cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? Can't we properly can, can't we be properly angry with self with self-righteous folk? For us of AA, these are dangerous exceptions. We have found that justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. So doing whatever the right thing, contacting, you know, the uh, the police or, or whatever, that's a nice, um, um, uh, healthful way of proceeding. But if we're home angry over it, that is not something that is uh, a positive attribute. Few people have been more victimized by resentments than we, than have we alcoholics. It mattered little whether we it mattered little whether our resentments were justified or not a burst of temper could spoil a day and a well-nursed grudge could make us miserably ineffective it doesn't say miserable it says miserably ineffective we we need to be continuing step 12 so this is blocking us from doing our life's purpose nor were we ever skillful in separating justified from unjustified anger. As we saw it, our wrath was always justified. Anger, that occasional luxury of more balanced people, could keep us on an emotional jag indefinitely. These emotional dry benders often led straight to the bottle. Other kinds of disturbances jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride did the same thing. 
So resentments could lead us to the bottle because it's a dry bender. It's an emotional unbalancing. But as importantly, jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride can. They can all lead back to drinking or drugging. A spot check inventory taken in the midst of such disturbances can be a very great help in quieting stormy emotions. Today's spot check finds its chief application to situations which arise in each day's march. The consideration of long-standing difficulties had better be postponed when possible to times deliberately set aside for that purpose. The quick inventory is aimed at our daily ups and downs, especially those where people or new events throw us off balance and tempt us to make mistakes. So the mistake would be to have jealousy, envy, self-pity, or hurt pride as is resentment. That's the mistake we'd be making. In all these situations, we need self-restraint, honest analysis of what is involved, a willingness to admit when our, the, the fault is ours, and an equal willingness to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. So we, in the, the example that I gave, we'd have to forgive the guy that stole our wallet. We'd have to do that, because if we didn't do that, we'd be stuck with the resentment. We need, we need not be discouraged when we fall into the error of old, excuse me, we need not be discouraged when we fall into the error of our old ways, for these disciplines are not easy. We shall look for progress, not for perfection. Our first objective will be the development of self-restraint. This carries a top priority rating. When we speak or act hastily or rashly, the ability to be fair-minded and tolerant evaporates on the spot. One unkind tirade or one willful snap judgment can ruin our relation with another person for a whole day or maybe a whole year. Nothing pays off like restraint, restra restraint of tongue and pen. We avoid quick-tempered criticism and, and furious, power-driven argument. The same goes for sulking or silent scorn. These are emotional booby traps baited with pride and vengefulness, more character defects. Our first job is to sidestep the traps. When we are tempted by the bait, we should train ourselves to step back and think, for we can neither think nor act to good purpose, step 12, until the habit of self-restraint has become automatic. Disagreeable or unexpected problems are not the only ones that call for self-control. We must be quiet as we must be quite as careful when we begin to achieve some measure of importance and material success. For no people have ever loved personal triumphs more than we have loved them. We drank of success as of a wine which could never fail to make us feel elated. When temporary good fortune came our way, we indulged ourselves in fantasies of still greater victories over people and circumstances. Thus blinded by prideful self-confidence, we were apt to play the big shot. Of course, people turned away from us, bored or hurt. Now that we're in AA and sober, 
and winning back the esteem of our friends and business associates, we find that we still need to exercise special vigilance as an insurance against big shotism. We can often check ourselves by remember by remembering that we are today sober only by the grace of God, not our self-will, only by the grace of God, and that any success we may be having is far more his success than ours. Finally, we begin to see that all people, including ourselves, are to some extent emotionally ill, as well as frequently wrong. And then we approach true tolerance and see what real love for our fellows actually means. It will become more and more evident as we go forward that it is pointless to become angry or to get hurt by people who, like us, are suffering from the pains of growing up, meaning everybody, not just in the program. Such a radical change in outlook, that's the psychic change, right? That's doing the 180. Such a radical change in our outlook will take time, maybe a lot of time. Not many people can truthfully assert that they love everybody. Most of us must admit that we have loved but a few, that we have been quite indifferent to the many so long as none of them gave us trouble. And as for the remainder, well, we have really disliked or hated them. Although these attitudes are common enough, we AAs find we need something much better in order to keep our balance. We can't stand it. We can't stand it if we hate deeply. The idea that we can be possessively loving of a few, can ignore the many, and can con continue to fear or hate anybody has to be abandoned, if only a little at a time. We can try to stop making un unreasonable demands upon those we love. We can show kindness. These are all assets. We can show kindness where we had shown none. With those we dislike, we can begin to practice justice and courtesy, perhaps going out of our way to understand and help them. Whenever we fail any of these people, we can promptly admit it to ourselves always and to them also when the admission would be helpful. Courtesy, assets, courtesy, kindness, justice, and love are the keynotes by which we may come into harmony with practically anybody. When in doubt, we can always pause saying, this is similar to the 10th the, uh, step prayer that we saw in the big book, not my will, but thine be done. And we can often ask ourselves, am I doing to others as I would have them do to me today? When evening comes, perhaps just before going to sleep, many of us draw up a balance sheet for the day. This is a good place to remember that inventory taking is not always done in red ink. So this means assets and liabilities. It's a poor day indeed when we haven't done something right. As a matter of fact, the waking hours are usually well filled with things that are constructive. Good intentions, good thoughts, and good acts are there for many to see, are there for us to see, excuse me. When, even when we have tried hard and failed, we may chalk that up as one of the great credits, greatest credits of all, meaning try, trying and fail, trying hard and failing is a great credit. Under these conditions, the pains of failure are converted into assets, 
Out of them, we receive the stimulation we need to go forward. So our frailties, our shortcomings, our character defects are the stimulation to do better, to grow. The trying at fixing them, repairing them, amending them, improving them, the trying at it is the progress, not perfection, but it is ultimately the thing that catapults us forward. Someone who knew what he was talking about once remarked that pain was the touchstone of all spiritual progress. That, of course, uh, it's, it's arguable, arguable, um, but that's uh, uh, Father Ed Dowling said that pain is the touchstone of all spiritual progress. How heartedly we AAs can agree with him, for we know that the pains of drinking had to come before sobriety and emotional turmoil before serenity. So what's that saying? The bottom is very important. Our bottom is very important. That is the pain that is the stimulus that got us to where we are now. As we glance down the debit side of the day's ledger, we should carefully examine our motives in each thought, in each thought or act that appears to be wrong. In most cases, our motives won't be hard to see and understand. When prideful, angry, jealous, anxious, or fearful, we acted accordingly, and that was that. Here, we need only recognize that we did act or think badly. Try to visualize how we might have done better and resolve with God's help to carry these lessons over into tomorrow, making, of course, any amends still neglected. But in other instances, only the closest scrutiny will reveal what our true motives were. There are cases where our ancient enemy, rationalization, has stepped in and has justified conduct which was really wrong. The temptation here is to imagine that we had good motives and reasons when we really didn't. So we're looking for delusion. We're looking for when we're lying to ourselves. That's the worst thing of, of all. We, we constructively criticized someone who needed it when our real motive was to win a useless argument or the person concerned not being present. We thought we were helping others to understand him when in actuality our true motive was to feel superior by pulling him down. So that's gossip. When sometimes hurt, those we love, oh boy, we sometimes hurt those we love because they need to be taught a lesson when we really want to punish. We were depressed and complained we felt bad when in fact we were mainly asking for sympathy and attention. This odd trait of mind and emotion, this perverse wish to hide a bad motive underneath a good one, permeates human affairs from top to bottom.